Welcome to this week's episode of The Digital Download. I'm Kate Hamer. I run a marketing and digital consultancy, Kate Hamer Limited. I've worked in large brands like Unilever, Disney and L'Oreal for over 15 years and a decade of that in digital. And I know how hard it can be to keep up to date with the fast moving world of digital when you're working full time. So this podcast will hopefully help you by giving you a summary of the past week's news and each week I also discuss key topics in the industry. Thanks again to everyone who's downloaded it. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, keep sending me feedback. I really do want this to be your podcast so you can tweet me at KateHamerLTD or you can email Kate at KateHamer.com with any feedback, with questions or topics that you'd like me to cover. This week I'm going to be talking about the latest digital news with the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, etc. And I'm ending the podcast with some top tips on social media management for brands. So let's get cracking, starting with Facebook. So Facebook have announced this week that they are moving to an algorithm to show trending topics and they're no longer going to have editors picking them and writing descriptions for them. In part, this is coming from the fact that they were accused earlier in the year about a political bias when they were showing articles. And although they've done an internal investigation and said that there was no evidence of a systematic bias, they are saying that these changes will also make it easier to scale the service, which would be hard to do if they were relying solely on humans to edit the topics. From now on, instead of seeing a story description, you'll just see a simplified topic so a certain hashtag or word and then the number of people talking about that topic on Facebook and that's based on the number of original posts that mention the topic as well as the shares of those posts. To see more about what people are saying about the topic you can either click on it or hover over it and you'll see a search results page which will show the news sources that are covering it, posts discussing it and then automatically selected original news stories with excerpts will be pulled directly from the top article itself. And they're all surfaced algorithmically based on a high volume of mentions and a sharp increase in mentions over a short period. So in Facebook's blog, they say, like much of the content you see across Facebook, the list of topics you see is still personalised based on a number of factors, including pages you've liked, your location, e.g. home state, sports news, etc. The previous trending topics that you've interacted with and then what's trending across Facebook overall. And they do reassure that people are still involved in the process to make sure that everything is high quality. So they'll make sure that topics are tied to a current news event. The example they give is that lunch is talked about during lunchtime every day, but that wouldn't be a trending topic. So look out for new trending topics and see how uh, relevant they are to you. A couple of other things on Facebook. So with Facebook Live, you might have noticed certainly on the mobile app now when you open it that top left is a live button. It's replaced where status used to be. So they're making it far easier to just instantly broadcast live, obviously competing with the likes of Periscope. And then the bigger news for the week in terms of Facebook was the announcement that WhatsApp is going to begin sharing user data, including phone numbers with Facebook. 
So WhatsApp saying that sharing this information means that Facebook can offer better friend suggestions because it can map your social connections across the two services and deliver more relevant ads as well. And the additional analytics data from WhatsApp is also going to be shared to track usage and fight spam. WhatsApp are also saying that they want to explore how businesses can use the service to contact customers and so they've updated their terms of use this week in preparation for doing some tests with selected users and they are really highlighting that even, this is a quote from them, even as we coordinate more with Facebook in the months ahead, your encrypted messages stay private and no one else can read them. Not WhatsApp, not Facebook, nor anyone else. We won't post or share your WhatsApp number with others, including on Facebook, and we still won't sell, share, or give your phone number to advertisers. So they're talking about integrating business services before the end of the year. And the aim is to make it useful. So the sorts of things they're quoting are flight notifications, receipts, delivery tracking. But in their new version of T's and C's, marketing messages are mentioned as well. So here's a little um, snippet, because if you're anything like me, you probably never read terms and conditions. We will explore ways for you and businesses to communicate with each other using WhatsApp, such as through order, transaction and appointment information, delivery and shipping notifications, product and service updates and marketing. For example, you may receive flight status information for upcoming travel, a receipt for something you purchased or a notification when a delivery will be made. Messages you may receive containing marketing could include an offer for something that might interest you. We do not want you to have a spammy experience as with all of your messages. You can manage these communications and we will honour the choices you make. So I think the focus on the spam element has to be there because in 2012, uh, Jan Coombe, the CEO and co-founder of WhatsApp, is quoted talking about how rival messaging companies were selling ads um, and was saying no one wakes up excited to see more advertising no one goes to sleep thinking about the ads they'll see tomorrow we know people go to sleep excited about who they chatted with that day and disappointed about who they didn't we want whatsapp to be the product that keeps you awake and that you reach for in the morning no one jumps up from a nap and runs to see an advertisement so obviously they've got to be careful with those sort of things on record that they're making it still a non-spammy experience for their users and in terms of the sharing with Facebook, there's more information in terms of how that will be put to work. So as part of the Facebook family of companies, WhatsApp receives information from and shares information with this family of companies. We may use the information we receive from them and they may use the information we share with them to help operate, provide, improve, understand, customize, support and market our services and their offerings. And they talk about it improving infrastructure, etc. So obviously WhatsApp is going to eventually need to be monetizing it. And I think Mark Zuckerberg has been quoted in the past as saying that monetization begins when a service reaches 1 billion users, which WhatsApp obviously has. And just from a UK perspective, the Information Commission's officer has said that they will be monitoring how the mobile messaging app shares data with Facebook. Uh, they don't have power to block such a move, but they do need to make sure that they're abiding by data protection laws. So they will be keeping an eye on that as well. Staying within the Facebook family, Instagram continue to roll out new tools that may be similar to Snapchat tools. So there's now a live events video channel. 
So if you go to the explore tab, that's where you'll find this video section. And it's videos from events, so concerts, festivals, sporting matches. And it's based on the type of accounts that the user follows. So at the moment, there's no ads or sponsored events in there. It's all natural. It's being algorithmically sourced and ranked. And it's looking at tags, although hashtags aren't actually shown in there, but it's looking at the tags that are on the videos. And Instagram haven't said how many videos need to have been generated to create a channel but for a channel to be done around an event there has to be a certain number posted within 24 hours of the event they've said so it's not clear exactly how it's being used at the moment but definitely worth looking at if you're a brand to see the sort of content that's getting into those feeds i imagine in the future they probably will offer an opportunity to pay for ads or sponsor particular events but if you are sponsoring an event in the real world you know a awards ceremony or something then it's definitely worth posting lots of content around that in terms of backstage and seeing if you can get into those events i still have the videos you might like section on my app so i'm not sure if it's rolled out to the uk yet or if perhaps it's rolling out to users gradually but keep an eye out Snapchat announced this week that they're going to be offering more sophisticated advertising options with the introduction of a behavioral targeting tool. So advertisers can tailor campaigns based on the type of content Snapchat users are consuming by using data collected from users within the app. I'm not entirely sure how this is going to work because obviously when people are putting content up personally it's not necessarily tagged or categorized in any way so I imagine this will be mostly around the publisher content that people are consuming presumably Snapchat will get more sophisticated in terms of what they can learn about what other people are posting and that sort of machine learning being able to work out what's in photos and videos is obviously going to be needed for that if people aren't putting any writing on the posts that they're doing. A study by eMarketer is talking about how it expects the next couple of years to see huge growth of users on Snapchat. So this was a US study. It's forecasting 58.6 million monthly users in the US this year and then a 27.2% increase and then another 13.6% increase in 2017. They think by 2018 it will start to stabilise but it's really a fast growth for the next couple of years. And the interesting thing from an advertiser perspective is that although in the US at the moment, about 70% of users are young millennials, they're saying that that share will be down to 56% by 2020. There's a few graphs showing the forecast growth that there's a link to them on the companion page. On to Twitter. On Saturday night, Rylan, who was presenting the sort of ITV2 X Factor show, got stuck with eight other people in a lift and was using Twitter to post videos about them waiting for the engineer to come and stuff. And Twitter turned it into a moment. The link to it is on the companion page. Really nice way of using social media. I'm sure he gained followers and engagement as a result of posting that. So even if you get stuck in a lift or something, think about how that could work for you as a social story. 
Also a nice thing on Twitter, they showed the top 10 songs of the summer this week based on people talking about them on the platform. Major Lazer and Justin Bieber with Cold Water was number one. Again, I've embedded the whole tweet on the companion page so you can see what were two to 10 as well. I should have done that like a uh, Radio 1 countdown from chart show days. I don't even know if that's still on anymore. I imagine probably not. Finally on Twitter... They have introduced an embeddable message button that you can put on your website. So you can encourage people on your website to direct message you straight from there without them having to look up your profile on social media. Details of how to find the button and what to do are on the companion page if you want to do that. One thing I would say is if you're going to put it on your website, then make sure that you're definitely replying to messages that you get. I had a bit of a nightmare with KLM earlier this week. So they, on their website, under customer service, say contact us 24-7 through Twitter. But actually, one message took 10 days to get a response and the other message was just getting a templated response. So if you're going to use social media for customer service, really make sure that you use the platform in the right way. And I'll talk about that a bit more in my top tips for social media at the end of the show. Onto YouTube, there's a project known internally as Backstage, which is going to allow users to share photos, polls, links, text posts and videos with their subscribers. It's expected to launch by the end of the year. Rumours may be autumn on both mobile and desktop and it will probably just go to selected popular YouTube accounts to start off with. So it's going to be similar to the Facebook timeline or Twitter profile. You'll have your home and videos tab with a new YouTube channel and then you'll have posts shared to backstage, which will appear in reverse chronological order. And they'll also appear in subscribers feeds and notifications. So you're getting more communication out to your fans. So they are talking about completely new things like tweet like text posts and topical polls. And it also gives an opportunity to share more videos. So it might be traditional YouTube videos, but there could also be exclusive sort of backstage only videos that enable them to share more things with their fans. They're hoping that it's going to start new types of conversation and will eventually allow subscribers to reply to posts with photos and videos and other types of comments rather than just um, the standard comment and they're calling this rich replies internally. So it doesn't look like they're thinking that they're going to pull everyone away from Twitter and Facebook, and there are elements within it that allow people to share their backstage posts to Facebook and Twitter, but it definitely looks like they're trying to keep people on the site for longer, which is obviously gonna be valuable in terms of their ad sales. Just a note on that though, uh, a Google spokesperson was asked about it and said that they don't comment on rumour or speculation. So that was a Venture Beat article that I'd been reading. A few things around Apple. Little tip for any parents that are listening. If you ever have to use your iPhone or iPad to distract your kids when you're trying to get something done, there is a guided access feature, which means that you can lock the screen. So you can put a video on and then they can't press buttons to get out of the video or phone your boss or do anything like that. They can just watch the video. So the tip is go to settings, then general, then accessibility and select guided access. 
and then the next time you put a video on you click the home button three times quickly and it'll give you options of what you want to lock and then the only way you can get out of it is to click it three times quickly again so there's a little tip to make sure that your kids are just watching fireman sam and not emailing people on your behalf or any other stuff and one other thing about the iPhone, there's a few rumours about iPhone 7. Uh, one of the interesting things is that it looks like 16 gig isn't going to exist anymore, but they are introducing a new 256 gig model, which should be enough for anyone. I've realised that my 128 gig phone is actually the same as my MacBook Air these days. So these phones are definitely getting much more capacity. Spotify launched a video section last January that had video clips from TV networks like Comedy Central and ESPN and also digital publishers like Vice and Maker Studios. It didn't go down very well. Some media partners were saying they'd had hundreds or thousands of views per video, very low. And Spotify learned that actually videos that people didn't necessarily need to be watching work the best. So things like TED Talks that you could still have your phone in, the po in your pocket and be listening to. So part of the problem is that people don't really expect or want to watch video within Spotify. But Spotify is obviously looking at how it can turn a profit. It's got 30 million subscribers and 100 million users, but it needs to show growth. So they're now looking at creating original content with an initial batch of 12 originals. So they're looking for more brand defining content, mu focusing on music shows, centering on performances, important and interesting moments in the history of music and then how music intersects with everyday life. So they're looking to get six to 10 episodes of these different shows with shows running between 10 and 22 minutes and they're actually paying talent to develop these and are willing to pay between $20,000 and $200,000 per episode depending on the talent, the length of the factors, etc. This is from a source in an article that I read. It's not necessarily directly from Spotify. But quite interesting that they're looking at how they can build their offering out more to try and get more people interacting with their app more regularly and obviously video is the thing that everybody is focusing on at the moment i talked about apple music last week or the week before and the fact that they're taking carpool karaoke so everyone's trying to build out their video offering so watch spotify for more info on that then on to Amazon. So Amazon are looking at how they can compete with the likes of Spotify and Apple Music. So obviously subscription services to those is around $10 a month. But Amazon's talking about offering a service that will be half as much as that if you use the Echo Music Player that's its own hardware. So a report by Recode, which was citing industry sources, said that this service would be four or five dollars a month and would offer unlimited ad free music so it wouldn't work on phones or other devices it would only work on the echo which was launched a couple of years ago and it's a cylindrical speaker and it's got the digital assistant alexa on it as well they haven't released sales numbers but there's been reports claiming they've sold a million devices in the second half of 2015 they're also working on a ten dollar 
standard music service and both of these services might be launched as early as next month they're just working with music publishers at the moment but obviously it's not the first time that amazon has offered deals tied in with its other products so it does things around the fire it's prime members obviously get special deals if they um, buy different things i think even the echo itself was cheaper if you were an amazon prime subscriber so if you're prepared to just use the echo device you can get a cheap music service hopefully within the next month or so a few stats came out from linkedin this week they've got 450 plus million users and it's growing at a rate of two members every second the top countries for users is the us with 130 million then india with 37 million Brazil with 26 million, China with 23 million, and then the UK with 21 million. However, I also saw some stats being tweeted by the CEO of a new company called Your Feed, which looks like it's going to be targeted at a younger audience in terms of building your professional network. There's a link to it on the companion page. It's not launched yet, but you can register for early access. So there's a link there. It's just getyourfeed.com. And he was quoting only 21% of users are under 35 and 79% are male. So I think obviously he's using that data to redress the balance with whatever his service is going to be, but quite interesting if true. One good app that I saw this week that's available in the UK and the US at the moment is called Sweatcoin and it gives you real cash credit for every thousand steps that you take. Uh, which anyone who knows me will know that I like the sound of that. I'm always counting my steps. So you can then exchange this cash either for health-related products like yoga classes or standing desks, or you can choose to donate it to charity. I've had a look at the app. It doesn't seem to have any ads on there at the moment. Potentially the products that you can redeem have got some kind of deal that way. But I imagine they're either going to eventually be making money out of the ads or out of the data in some way. But I will use it for a few weeks and let you know how I get on. Again, there's a link to download it on the companion page. Microsoft announced that it's acquired Genie, spelled G-E-N-E-E, which is a productivity app which automates the task of scheduling meetings. It sounds pretty cool, actually. So if you want to set up a meeting without consulting your calendar, you CC Genie on an email asking a contact for a meeting, and then the app emails them with options based on your availability and any preferences that you've set, and then adds the appointment to your schedule. So they've bought it at Microsoft. They're saying it'll join the Office 365 team. Obviously, they've recently bought LinkedIn as well. So really looking at how they can improve productivity and integrate lots of great services into the Microsoft offering. Don't know whether it will eventually integrate into Outlook or not. And if you were already using Genie, then its own service is going to close down on the 1st of September. So it will stop sending out reminders, but anything that's in your calendar will stay there. On to a few things from brands. There's a brand called Notonomy based in Singapore, which has beaten Uber to be trialing driver-free taxis. So it's going to be inviting select residents of Singapore to try this service. So you book a free ride through the mobile app and passengers will be transported to their destination in either a Renault Zoe or a Mitsubishi IMIV electric car. 
that's um, got custom components for autonomous driving. Now, obviously, because this is a test, there will actually be an engineer from the company who will sit in the self-driving cab and it will be observing the vehicle's performance and will be able to take the wheel in case of an emergency. But we are truly seeing the future now in terms of self-driving cars. They are expecting a citywide commercial service in Singapore from 2018. The Olympics has obviously finished now and Adweek did a summary article that was talking about hashtag usage across them. Again, there's a link on the companion page. So they use Sprinkler, the social listening tool, to look at brand mentions across Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. And in terms of the different mentions, Coca-Cola took home the gold as they put it with 34,400 mentions during the Rio games Samsung came second with 29,800 and Visa was third with 28,500 now whenever I see reports on social listening I always have so many questions straight away because for a start I want to know how that stacks up versus the hashtags in general about the Olympics because I think people are less likely to use branded hashtags than they are ones for the event in general. I'd also want to know how they have done that listening and whether it includes the brands themselves tweeting about it, whether it includes any competitions that will have perhaps made people do it more. So I have many questions, but anyway, there's a link to the article and there's eight different charts that you can look at on there. So check that out. Nike have released a new app called TechBook, which you can shop from it's got all their latest seasons clothing but what's particularly compelling about it I think is that they're using their stars so you can interact with them so Neymar Jr, Rafael Nadal, Kevin Durant, Alison Felix and you can tap on your favorite star and then see behind the scenes photography, athlete insights, stories, motion experience and more. So a good example of bringing all of that extra content that they have into the shopping experience for their latest products as well. So that's the end of my news roundup for the week. If uh, you were just here for the news, then you can stop listening now. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. For those of you who are still there, I'm just going to go through my top five tips for social media management at Brands. So one of my big sort of bugbears around social media is that in a lot of companies, I think they worry that it's quite a new thing and that young people get it. And quite often it will be put into an intern or a grad or someone quite new to the staff to manage it because they think, well, they understand social media. And it's true, they probably do have a good grasp of social platforms in terms of their functionality, but you have to remember that they might not necessarily have the experience in terms of communication, brand building, strategy, messaging, all of those kind of things. So don't um, make the mistake of just having a single person like that manage it. It's always far better to have an integrated team. Social media can't really just be seen as marketing these days. It's also obviously PR, but it helps with sales. It's a customer service channel. All kinds of people within your organization could influence social media content, could help in terms of the things that you can learn from it. So just because someone's young, don't stick social media into them. Speaking of the things that you can learn from social media, it is the best possible focus group you could ever wish for. People are talking about your brand 
on these platforms or talking about their lives or the industry in which you act all the time. So definitely make sure that you get a good social listening tool. Social listening is only ever as good as the information you put in in the first place. So really think through what it is that people might be talking about, what sort of topics are similar to your topics and get a good base in there in terms of what you're listening out for and that information can be fed back into your business in so many ways improving customer service improving product development you've got this whole community that you can get information from either directly by asking them questions but also by just naturally looking at how they're talking and what they're doing so definitely use it in that way and I've said it a few times already, so I will go on to this third point now. Social media is a customer service channel, whether you like it or not. People are going to approach your brand with problems or questions about your products because people don't want to have to pick up the phone to a customer service department. They want to be able to just message on their phone and get an answer. So you need to be prepared to respond. You need to have a system in place to be able to do that. As I was saying earlier with the KLM issue, you can't just have templated responses for tweets. You need to have a really natural style within the platform, obviously based on whatever your brand tone of voice is in general, but you're gonna need more things that you can say. Quite often when I work with clients, a brand positioning document has often been developed from a point of view of above the line broadcast communications where you're just speaking out to a customer but actually as you get into social media you're going to have two-way engagement so you need to know your brand's thoughts and positions on lots more things so that they can get involved in those conversations and quite often you can really improve relationships with customers if you respond in the right way on social media. The fourth point is just because it exists doesn't mean that you have to be on it. You know, there are new social platforms coming out pretty much every single day and you don't need to spread yourself so thin to be across all of them. Think about what your brand represents, what sort of customer you will have for your brand and go to the platforms that they're most likely to be on. Twitter is obviously a great one for two-way engagement, for having conversations with them, for customer service. Instagram is fantastic if you've got quite an inspirational brand and you want to be putting beautiful photography, you know, if you're fashion or beauty or that kind of thing. But think about what your objective is and go to the place that you're best going to be able to meet that. There's also obviously ways that you can encourage your users to create content for you. So you don't necessarily need your own YouTube channel. You could perhaps work with bloggers or vloggers or even your customers on particular hashtags or particular topics to get content created that you could still create playlists and pull it into your website and share them on social media, but they don't necessarily have to be on your channel. And finally, influencers. It's a, a word that people talk about a lot. I'm really not sure how many influencers there actually are that are genuine. Um, I often think that marketeers are probably your best influencers because personally, I do do posts about products that I love, not because I'm being paid or because I want free stuff, but because I know how hard it is as a marketeer to get people to do that. So if I like a product or I've had a great experience, I will tweet about it. A few months ago, I went into Leon in Hammersmith and there's a guy who works there called Simone who was brilliant, did great customer service. And so I tweeted about that and Leon have actually told him and now 
now when I go into the shop, he always greets me and says like, oh, hi. And the first time I saw him after tweeting, he was like, oh, I saw your tweet. Thanks so much. So I always want to do that kind of thing because I know how hard it can be. But in terms of getting other people to be advocates for you, you've got to think what is reasonable to expect people to do. Obviously competitions and encouraging people to post a picture of them using your product and that sort of stuff are all great. And if you're paying for people to say things, then just be really careful. The Kardashians got into trouble this week with a non-profit organisation called Truth in Advertising, who trolled 500 posts and found that 100 of them, I quote, do not clearly or conspicuously disclose their relationships with the companies being promoted in the posts as is required by federal law. So you don't want to end up having something come back to bite you by getting someone to post something for a fee and not disclosing that you've done that. There've been examples of people who have posted the entire copy that a marketing team might have sent them. So literally it says, post this at 4 p.m. and say, and they post the whole thing. So you need to be really careful. And if you're working with celebrities or people in the public eye, just make sure that there's a good fit between them and the product. It can really jar if someone suddenly talks about something that's sort of come out of the blue within their feed and doesn't look like the sort of thing that they would say. So I would always go from a point of giving people a product and asking them to say whatever they want about it rather than prescribing something. You just want to have faith in your product that people are going to say good things about it because it's a good product. So in summary, one, don't just put it into the intern. Two, make sure that you're learning from social media and using all that data to the very best of uh, its potential. Three, it's a customer service channel, whether you like it or not. Four, just because it exists doesn't mean you have to be there. And five, be careful about influencers and who you work with. So that was my whistle stop top five tips for social media management. That's all this week. Hope you found it useful. Let me know by tweeting at Kate Hamer LTD or by emailing me kate at katehamer.com and I will be back next week. Bye.